Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Bet the Edge, I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick, All-NBA. On the show today, we're going to take a look through both conferences and storylines we're looking at uh, for the rest of the season, any betting angles into them, and then we're going to talk about uh, a couple of awards markets with Most Improved Player and MVP. All right, let's start with the Eastern Conference, though. Drew, where the Celtics are off the board to get the one seed. They are inching towards even money to win the conference. Uh, the Cavs now have something of a stranglehold on the two seed. They're minus 500 to win the Central Division, which is kind of a proxy for getting the two seed, given that the Bucks are their most realistic competition. Uh, and then you have the Bucks, the Knicks, the Sixers, uh, with the Pacers on the fringe of the play-in uh, in front of Miami and Orlando. Is there anything... You're monitoring in the East. Yes. Uh, waiting for the day the Celtics flip to minus odds because <laughs> that's where I have them. Um, I'm still not sure why you can get a plus money bet on the Celtics to win the East, to be honest. Um, I had uh, somebody asked me a question yesterday, which is like, who is the most realistic contender to beat the Celtics? And I, I kind of couldn't come up with anything. I, I was like, I guess themselves. Like, Porzingis could get hurt. Missoula could do something absolutely absurd in the playoffs and tank a series by accident. But, uh, you know, the fact that uh, as currently rated, my number two team in the East is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And they have yet to win a playoff series under Bickerstaff. That's a problem. Uh, and they match up. If I, if I were to just, you know, in a neutral setting, line a series price for Celtics v. Cavs in an Eastern Conference Finals, this is, again, now my second highest rated team in, as currently rostered. Uh, I would have the Celtics in the minus 460 range. So I don't, I just, I'm not sure the math makes sense where, you know, minus 10,000 round one, minus, you know, 4,000 round two, minus 400 Eastern Conference finals. Why, why are we here with plus money opportunity shot on the Celtics? Um, and like, I get it. Like, a Bucks rating for the regular season is not fair necessarily to take into a playoff uh, setting because you know when you come when you come into how do you rate a team for the playoffs you got to account for the fact that as the series goes further the game becomes more and more kind of isolation driven um, and you know the big bet that the Bucks made 
was trading away their point of attack defense to have an isolation monster in Dame Lillard for those moments, right? So, you know, as the series goes deeper, Bucks just presumably get uh, uh, stronger just from a neutral rating standpoint. Um, but the problem is, like, I'm lining Bucks, you know, against some of the challengers in the East right now and seeing, <laughs> like, there's going to be good opportunities to bet against them at every stage along the way. And that, that, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of surprising, honestly. Um, now the Knicks are hurt. They could get better. They could make a run who knows, but, uh, I would still make the Celtics in the, you know, in a healthy, healthy favorite against the Knicks. Uh, and then finally the, you know, the, um, Sixers, if Embiid comes back and is at full strength, then, uh, you know, I think, I think I would say that would be the team that I would be the most uh, concerned about if I was, you know, holding huge equity in Celtics. So, um, yeah, I mean, really, really and truly, like, the storylines that matter for the Eastern Conference for the rest of the season are, like, can the Celtics stay healthy? And, you know, can the Bucks write the ship to get the two seed? Uh, and, uh, you know, what is the status of Embiid? Because there's really not any other questions that I think matter all that much. Where are you at? Yeah, I think the question in the East is, if you assume health for Boston, what's the longest price they can possibly be in a series? Like, is is anyone going to make them longer than minus 300 in any given series? Like, potentially not at this point. Like, I think that the, the problem, the one problem with Boston, uh, and I was talking about this with a friend the other day, is that they don't really have scope to improve their rating throughout the playoffs. Like, they're just yeah. an acknowledged yeah. juggernaut. They are what they are. Every other team basically has more scope to improve their rating. And maybe the Celtics go to another level of juggernaut. But, I mean, they were seven-point home favorites to Denver uh, last month. So I'm not sure how much more the market can possibly <laughs> respect them, which is just insane <laughs> still, though. Seven-point favorites yeah. home to Denver. I'm not saying it was wrong, but uh, the market treats them as a juggernaut. Now, I think still the probably the second most likely team to win the East is probably Milwaukee just because of the talent upside and the defense has been better on the dock. Um, but, and that, they just have a higher ceiling to beat say a, a healthy Boston in a series. You could make the case though, that the Cavs are the second most likely team to get out of the East, even if they don't have Milwaukee's talent um, ceiling, they at least have this firm grip on the two seed. And I think that they are more likely to get to the conference finals at this point than Milwaukee are. And so to me, the questions in the East are, one, is there anything left with Milwaukee? Is this just who they are? There's this plus three net rating team that is very blah and has kind of stabilized a bit on defense under Doc, but they, and they have been really good when they've had their four guys on the court, but it's just such a drop off after them. And it's weird to say this, but they kind of, they kind of have a talent problem as much as their top guys are talented. There's just nothing behind those top four. So is there anything left? Can they get any more blood out of the talent stone, the Bucks? Uh, secondly, are the Cavs actually like a legitimate juggernaut team themselves? Because we're at two months now of the Cavs having a plus 11.5 net rating, which is pretty ridiculous. But the problem is, is that uh, the one that was largely against an easy schedule. Two, there are reasons to believe that the Cavs are a better regular season team than a playoff team with the biggest staff stuff with the fact that playing two bigs doesn't get penalized as much, I think, in the regular season. Um, and there's a few other factors on top of that. Now, they have been missing guys, which kind of counteracts a little bit of the easy schedule they've had. And then the other thing is just Embiid. Like, if Embiid is just going to come back and be Embiid, the guy who was playing at the highest level in the league, then all of a sudden that might well be and probably 
likely is the second best team in the East, that full strength. But there's a lot of things that need to go wrong, I think, for Boston to, to not get out of the East so long as they're healthy. Yeah, I think that's the caveat. Um, no, that was well broken down. I, and I, like, uh, I, I'm with you where I was trying my hardest to kind of poke the holes in the, the calves and like there's holes. Like, does Jared off Allen get played off the floor in a series against the Celtics? If the Celtics are, you know, going a little bit smaller, a little bit more athletic, without question, he does. Like, they are going to have to come up with some lineup that has Evan Mobley as your center. Uh, and now there's not really necessarily enough, uh, you know, kind of guard uh, wing support there. So, you know, I, I really have a tough time seeing how the Cavs are taking more than two games off the Celtics. Uh, and I'm starting to kind of be nervous about the Embiid actually coming back because you're just yeah. not really hearing much, right? Like, what has it been, two weeks and change now since the surgery? Uh, and uh, I think ultimately this is – we're expecting this to be like a four to six, maybe a six to eight thing considering his size. Um, and, uh, you know, so we should start at least hearing like, okay, yeah, what they did, it seems to have been working. Like he's going to start, you know, he's doing stuff with the team. Like he's going to travel, you know, like that, those, those types of, you know, nuggets should start, uh, slipping into the conversation here in the next week or two. And if we don't hear them, then I think you can basically put a line through Philly. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Bucks issues are, you know, so systematic, um, on defense with the way that they're rostered that um, I just I just don't know how like on, like the like Bucks beating the Celtics means that the Bucks figured out a way to score 140 points four times. Yep. No, I I agree, and I think the thing with Embiid is that well, the verbiage hasn't been great coming out of Philadelphia. Like we're hopeful that he'll return. It's like well, he had a four to six week injury that would have him back with like theoretically on that timetable with like a month left in the season. And why are you only hopeful that he's going to be back? Why aren't you saying that he's going to be back? Like I would be a little bit concerned that, you know, if it gets to uh, the end of March and he's still a week away and the Sixers are in the play-in, that maybe they just say that, no, he's not going to have enough time to ramp up. We're worried about re-injury in the playoffs. We're coming from the seventh seed. Are we really going to win four series on the road without home court with Embiid trying to get into shape? Like, no, we're just going to pull the pin. So, yeah, I would still make it favorite that we see Embiid again in the season um, is my subjective take, but uh, I don't think that that's a sure by any means. The last thing in the East for me is that in these division markets, so if the Celtics are going to win the Atlantic, that is done. Uh, the Cavs are very likely going to win the Central, given that they are, what are they? They're four games ahead of Milwaukee in the loss column and they have the tie break, so that, and they have an easier schedule, so it would take something momentous for them to lose. Uh the Southeast, which is a division close to my heart, um, the Miami Heat are minus 160 favorites. The Magic are plus 110. There's some plus 125 about on the Magic. Uh, I'm not sure that the Magic should be dogs in this race, let alone um, kind of this kind of disparity where right now they're tied in the standings. The Heat have the tiebreak, um, but the Magic have, by margin, the easiest remaining schedule in the league and the heat, they have a, an easy schedule as well, but it's not as easy as Orlando's. Uh, and I just think that there is still some anchoring to Miami making the finals last year that is kind of infecting their perception. Like this team, like this is two regular seasons in a row where the team just hasn't been that good. Like they've been like healthy enough this year and they've got a 0.3 net rating. They're 18th in the NBA in net rating. Like I don't know why this team is, is markedly better than Orlando. 
Uh, they're not. <laughs> I mean, uh, the experience and sort of the X factor of coaching and the, the uh, you know, the mystique and the allure around winning as an eight seed against the Bucks and then carrying that all the way through to a finals appearance last year is uh, it is uh, it's tough to kind of wrap your head around what to do with these guys. As I project the rest of the season, um, I have the magic and the heat finishing with the tied record kind of a lot, which is a little tough because I believe the heat effectively have the tiebreaker there. So you can yep. see a but you can see a very funny thing play out because I'm pretty sure they award the Southeastern division title based on final regular season, 82 games with tiebreakers. And then the magic and the heat could play each other in the seven, eight and the magic could very well win that game. And then the heat could play the Hawks in the, uh, you know, for the eight seed, and they could very well lose that game. So you could have the Southeast champion get beat by, you know, two Southeast teams in the two playing games and not make the playoffs, which would be truly hilarious. Um, but uh, I think I'm not really sure how to properly rate the Heat for a playoff series. I'm, I, I, I agree with you 100% that at price, uh, Magic are a bet for the Southeast. Not a huge edge, but, you know, enough of a one to take a swing at plus money. Um, but uh, the Heat, like... I kind of would rather see them get in the two seed because they could wreak a little bit of havoc, right? Like they could make the path of the Celtics quite a lot easier if they could just kind of, you know, kind of get their nose into the seven seed or even the six seed. So, um, yeah, so they're they're kind of the one wild card where uh, figuring out exactly how to price that team come playoffs is a little bit of a you're just going to have to go with vibes as opposed to numbers because you're you nailed it. Like last two years, all the data that you got on these teams, all the data you have on these players is that they're just kind of an average team. Um, and they're going up against potentially a super team in the Celtics who are kind of specifically tinkered their roster in a way that they can better defend Jimmy Butler and they can better take advantage of their, uh, you know, their athleticism and uh, Porzingis in particular, uh, no matchup at all for Porzingis for the Heat. So, um, you know, I, I would say that it'll be interesting to price uh, that series if we get it in the 1-8. Uh, and it'll be interesting to just see if the Heat can kind of continue to play spoilers because, you know, they obviously believe in it, right? They buy, they bought into it. Uh, they did it last year. They're, they're going to believe they can do it again. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not seeing much scope for them to be a factor. No. I mean, surely the Celtics are just minus a thousand in that series. If it's, if it's Celtics heat, I know everyone, uh, people are going to love <laughs> betting the heat in that series. I would be backing the Celtics at minus one thousand. Like, I, I think yeah. that what happened last year is that I think it's pretty simple is that the heat, they have they were a great defense. They were a great defense all season. They have a really good defense. And also when Hero went down, the defense had no real, you know, glaring holes outside of when Duncan Robinson was in there. Uh, and they went up against three teams that I don't think have particularly cerebral <laughs> offenses. Um, where I will never understand why Joe Mazzola wasn't just switching ball screens against Duncan Robinson. Why are you yeah. fighting for just switch it? Like what what are you worried that Duncan Robinson is gonna cook Al Horford off the dribble? Or what are you doing, Joe? Yeah. Um, but they have they had a really good defense. They just made every three uh, in the two series that they needed to, aside from the Rocks fight against the Knicks, who were banged up and not that good. Uh, and then Jimmy Butler, who's, you know, when he can get to the level of being a top five player, and he got to that level and they made every three and they have a good defense and they got lucky and they played really well. And so I think that's kind of it. And I don't expect it's going to be especially repeatable. Um God, it's going to, really going to hurt if he beat the Celtics again. Uh, it hurt last year. It's going to hurt even more this year, but I'm not too worried about it yet. All right. Spring training is here. So for those looking to get ahead on the upcoming MLB season, grab your Roto World 
baseball draft guide loaded with comprehensive positional rankings, projections, and player profiles to ensure your draft is a success. Visit NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code BASEBALL24 to get 10% off at checkout. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right. The Western Conference, which is a little bit more wide open, given that uh, we don't have a plus 110 favorite here. We have a plus 225 favorite in the Nuggets. Uh, a Nuggets team that is running a plus 3.3 net rating on the season to date, which is a little bit concerning. The Clippers plus 240, Suns, Wolves, and Thunder are kind of bunched up together, and then you get into your long shots in the Mavs, Lakers, and Warriors. Uh, anything you're monitoring in particular in the West? Um, when I redid my numbers, and we've talked about this already, so there's nothing like groundbreaking here, but... Um... The top four teams are so closely clustered uh, that it makes pricing the future market a little more like speculative. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a, I personally think pricing those series a lot is going to depend on, um, you know, specifically the health uh, and uh, home court, which right now we just have to kind of guess at. Um, the uh, the market is telling you that there is a huge diff, you know, disparity uh, in terms of likelihood of winning the West between the um, uh, the more experienced teams in the uh, Nuggets and the Clippers uh, relative to the teams that are likely going to have the one and two seed uh, with the Timberwolves <laughs> and the Thunder. Um, so it's kind of funny upside down where you could have, uh, you know, some funky series prices with the road team opening up meaningful favorites if you do have a one four of, say, for instance, Clippers, the you know at the Timberwolves and a two three of Nuggets at the Thunder, right? Like those those, those series prices are going to look real funny, <laughs> and so um, you know I think ultimately uh, I'm doing I've did a lot of soul searching over the break about the Thunder prices. I know you made a very compelling case prior to the All Star break about like look man like this is just, they're just wrong like there's there's lopsided upside here of them actually figuring it out, and I think that's uh, somewhat true. No, I think the Thunder, I mean, if you just look at what they have done so far this season, they've been the second best team in the NBA to date by net rating. Uh, they have, uh, if you, we'll talk about MVP in a second, but the guy who I think uh, should be the MVP favorite um, in SGA, I think Gordon Hayward is really going to help them because the one thing that you'd be worried about the Thunder, they're kind of... Uh, their Jared Allen, uh, Tony Allen type of thing that gets really exploited in the playoffs would be Josh Giddy just not being guarded whatsoever. And I think Gordon Hayward kind of gives them insurance against that. Uh, so, yeah, it is just, it's a peculiar market at the moment. I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong, but where you've got the one and the two seeds right now, uh, your fourth and fifth favorites in the conference. Like that doesn't happen particularly often. And that's buying into the idea that the Nuggets and Clippers are just markedly better than both of those top two teams. And I think they are better, but, you know, at current prices, are they three times better than these teams relative to their chances of winning the conference? Like, I think that's a little bit rich. So, yeah, the Thunder are the team who are most who are in the West are the most interesting to me because they actually have, um, you know, legitimate upside. Whereas with the Wolves, it's like, I just don't think that offense, and there's just a, it's not very scientific, but just the gnawing part of me that is, 
watched a lot of Wolves basketball the past year, the past two years, and just seen all the dumb things that Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns do at the end of games. Like it's not. You talk about like the previous iterations of the Celtics not being particularly cerebral on offense. Like the Celtics looks like Mensa students compared to what the Wolves do down the stretch of games with like Ant just jacking up, um, you know, step back twenty one footers and Carl Towns just dribbling into traffic. Uh, I just worry a little bit about their offense. I think the defense. Yeah. I think Minnesota actually, you know, I think they are probably the matchup that the Nuggets least want to see because of how Gobert. Um, has given Jokic trouble. I think he's probably the one guy in the league kind of best uh, equipped to deal with Jokic. I thought it might be Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis couldn't do anything against Jokic. Jokic is too big. But Gobert is the one guy who seems to really give him uh, strife. But, I mean, what do you think of the upside for the Timbers? Because they are the favorite right yeah. now to get one seed, and they're plus 825 to win the conference. Yeah, so it goes without saying because we've said it 500 times in this podcast in the last two years. You got to adjust your regular seating, season rating for the Nuggets because when they reduce the bench, they're a better team, <laughs> right? Um, and the opposite, I think, can be said of the Timberwolves, where a lot of what makes them special and good as a regular season team is their depth. Uh, that second unit is very, very good. Uh, the minutes that they're getting out of guys like uh, Kyle Anderson, Jordan McLaughlin, uh, Nas Reed, Jaden McDaniels, like those minutes matter. And they're closing five. It does have players that you have huge, huge question marks about in terms of how are you going to actually execute your offense, even at home. And uh, I agree with you that, um, you know, kind of my dream matchups are OKC Clippers and uh, um because I like the Clippers and futures market. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Timberwolves nuggets on the other side, because I don't really want the Clippers to have to deal with the nuggets. I'd much rather the Timberwolves can find their way to dispatch them. Um, but, uh, you know, I think of those four teams, I would put the Timberwolves pretty clearly fourth. Um, I do have personally have the Timberwolves ahead of the Suns. Suns are the price in the Western conference market that it makes me, makes my head kind of spin the most. It's like, Oh my God, we're reliving this nets, you know, being favored against the Celtics kind of stuff because they you know they they're going to be up against one of the elite four in round one, and they could be favorites in that series. And I I just am not there. And I you know a dream series for us is OKC Phoenix. I think round one because that looks to be the most disparate price relative to how you actually rate those teams. Um, and I think uh, uh, you know the the buying starting to buy a little bit into the Thunder uh, as far as if not in the futures market, at least being prepared to take advantage of their series prices being just flat out wrong. Um, and, uh, and I think still the Clippers are the team that gets across the finish line in the West, just because again, like as a series gets tight and, and like, look, look, by definition, what we're saying is the second round of the playoffs in the West are going to be must watch. They're going to be so phenomenally entertaining and the series are going to go long and every game is going to be close. And when you have five guys that can create off the dribble, or really four guys that can create off the dribble, uh, and you have good rim rim protection, uh, you know you're going to be a very very and and elite on ball defense. You're going to be a very tough team uh, to beat in a Western Conference end of series end of um, end of game type of scenario. So Clippers, I have the highest faith in that they can find a way to get it done. Uh, Nuggets are kind of interesting to think about as well because I think there's some merit to. The deeper the Nuggets go, the more likely they kind of find the form that we remember from the playoffs last year, which is going to be tough to beat. So 
Um, you know, if somebody can pop the Nuggets bubble early, because <laughs> I have no Nuggets, like I'm way exposed there. Uh, and, and so if somebody could take care of business there before they get super deep in the playoffs, that'd be wonderful. Uh, and if not, then somebody's going to have to get, do it in round two. And I think I can't, it can be done. Like they're not as good a team as they were last year, surely. Uh, the uh, rest of the West has caught up to them more than I think they have regressed. Um, but, uh, you know, they have some meaningful kind of, you know, for them to continue to take a step forward, they needed Michael Porter Jr. to be better this year. And he's just not. They needed, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jamal Murray to take another step forward after his, you know, surgery from two years ago. And he's just kind of the same player. Uh, and uh, Jokic is obviously, you know, a unique problem to deal with in a playoff setting. But uh, as you mentioned, there are teams that have the uh, the bodies to take care of it. So um, still would kind of rank Clippers most likely, uh, Thunder as a series bet on. Uh, and uh, just in general, I think the Suns are a series bet against. Uh, and then the bottom of the West is a little bit of a, what do you do here? Because um, I don't think the Kings are getting in. We've talked about that. Uh, I don't have you know high conviction that the Lakers are going to be getting in. Uh, could very well be the Warriors in the eighth seed there. Um, but uh, all of those teams, six, seven, eight, likely your uh, uh, Pelicans, Mavs, and... Uh, Warriors, I guess, uh, will uh, will kind of be pretty meaningful dogs against the the better teams, better, more talented teams, uh, and the home teams in the first round of the playoffs. So we could see some weird pricing, we could see some weird results, uh, but ultimately, I think uh, the top tier of the West is for real, uh, and that's probably going to be your round two of the playoffs. Yeah, I think we are potentially headed for a, a Boston Brooklyn type situation from a couple of years ago when the Celtics made the final, where the Celtics were the two seed. The Nets come out of the plane and the seven. The Nets actually opened in the market favorites in that series, which is maybe the most insane uh, series opener that I can remember anyway. Uh, and then they eventually closed dogs. But it was one where all the talking heads aligned behind the Nets because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and they have the best player in the series. Uh, and the Celtics got bundled out of the playoffs the year before. And it just wasn't even close because of the talent levels. And I feel like there is an Oklahoma City against Golden State or Lakers. Like if it's OKC LA in round one, everyone, all of the talking heads are picking the Lakers in that series because of LeBron and AD. And I get that it's not like it's not a great matchup for OKC because of the size the Lakers have. But um, I do think that, yeah, I can kind of see that coming and I can see myself being on Oklahoma City in that series. Okay, let, uh, let me ask you something then before we get into this next topic because it's relevant. Beat to the fire, do you think Oklahoma City gets the one? No. I, I mean, I would take the field over Oklahoma City. Uh, I think that their most likely seed would be the two seed. And it's mainly just because 22 of the last 33 Timberwolves games are in Minnesota, which is kind of insane. Like, how did the schedule yeah. break like that? And also, the strength of opponent uh, isn't great either. They have the uh, 20th hardest schedule remaining um, just in terms of opponent winning percentage. So that combined with all these home games, um, that's that's pretty ridiculous. So they're playing effectively two-thirds of your games at home the rest of the way. Uh, I think that is probably going to be enough for Minnesota to get the one seed. Uh, so I think OKC are probably your two. The Clippers also have a brutal schedule, by the way. They have yeah. they got seven back-to-backs left. Um, and I think they only have... They only have four games remaining all season where they have more than one day's rest. That's a problem. 
Uh, and it's kind of it's a good thing, I think, for Norm Powell's his sixth man of the year. Yeah, I was going to say that all these guys going to the rest of the time, uh, and he won't. But uh, yeah, that's going to be uh, trouble for them, I think. Yeah, we agree. Okay, uh, last one quickly. We talked about this before, but I don't understand why the Mavericks are plus 155 to win their division over the Pelicans. Right now, they're one game back of New Orleans. They have the easiest schedule. It'll be it is road heavy. Uh, and they right now have the tie break as well. And I know that statistically, New Orleans have been excellent and Dallas have been blah, but I just don't, I, I don't really buy that. Like, I've watched a lot of Pelicans. The team just makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and, the, and Dallas, I think, they've really found themselves in a way these past couple of weeks as they finally got healthy. They've added uh, PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford, who I don't think either of those guys are amazing, but they, uh, they're better than who they were replacing. So I think the Mavs, I would have that closer to pick. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, at some point I made a bet on Pelicans in a small minus money range before I kind of really, and at the time, like the Mavericks were so lost. I was like, man, just, I don't think they can figure this out. Uh, so I might play a little defense there. Um, but I'm with you in that I don't understand the Pelicans. <laughs> it's just a nonsensical team that's kind of good, I guess. They, statistically, they're great. but They're uh, all over the place, though. Like yeah. 98 points win, 136 points win, huge, huge you know, beatdown of an elite team, and then they just absolutely lay an egg the next night against the – you know, or next game out against the Lakers. Like, they're, they are – the inconsistency and, the you know, the variability around performance from night to night for the Pelicans is very, very tough to wrap my head around. Their talent just isn't additive. Like, it doesn't – Brandon Ingram doesn't make Zion better. Zion doesn't make Brandon Ingram better. Like, they just – and they have Valance Yunus on the team randomly, yeah. and Zion is – just yeah. doesn't shoot anymore, and Valance Yunus shoots more often than he does, but he's not really a shooter, and it's just – the team yeah. just doesn't make. They don't really have a point guard. Um, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really make sense. You remember back in January where um, they hung 153 points on the Jazz and then got yeah. extra rest before th- playing the Thunder and came out and scored 83. Yeah. Um, they had like one of the highest efficiency, lowest efficiency games of the entire NBA back to back. What do you do yeah. with this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think they're doing much this season. All right, this Saturday, the Premier League is back on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Watch Manchester City continue their hunt for a fourth straight Premier League title when they take on Bournemouth. Coverage begins at 12.30. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. But let's talk about most improved player. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is minus 190 favorite. Kobe White second at plus 375. Alperin Shingun is 8-1. to one. Jonathan Kaminga is 8-1. to one. And then our man Jalen Williams is 16-1. to one. Uh, What do you make of this market? Yeah. Um, we got to go back and clip our, what was that, maybe like the 15th? Uh, where we were talking Thunder. <laughs> Jalen Williams was 100-1. to one, and We were both scratching our heads. Um, because he, again, is the highest Darko year-over-year improvement of any player in the NBA. Uh, Darko DPM, of course, uh, all-in-one stat that kind of captures both, you know, kind of where you are, where you're projected to go as far as player impact and performance. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty uh, healthy into the Jalen Williams hype at this point. 
Um, I think my fare would be closer to 10 to 1 for him. So still a tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny meat on the bone there for uh, for for our guy Jalen. Um, and, you know, the the sentiment that I got out of All-Star Weekend <clears throat> is that Maxi's case is falling apart. Like his, like the rats are jumping off the ship, right? Like people are kind of like, cause you know, and we didn't talk about it in the East, but like one of the storylines to follow is like, how far do the Sixers sink down the standings between now and the end of the season? And like, there's going to be a little bit of a losing stench around that team. He was showing massive amounts of fatigue into the close uh, before the all-star break. And uh, it's very, very tough to be the singular offensive piece on a team that is structured the way that the Sixers are when you're especially when you're a guard and like that can break players down. Uh, and so he may have a couple of pop moments here out of the break. I wouldn't, sh- wouldn't shock me, right? He's gotten a decent amount of rest. He may be electric tonight against uh, uh, the Knicks for all we know. But uh, I think ultimately uh, his case will continue to become less appealing. Um, I don't think it's a good case anyway. And I'm projecting it to get worse. It's kind of where I'm at with Maxi. Um, and, because people were starting to kind of reevaluate their thoughts on this market, the, you know, kind of the sentiment sort of, you know, circulating and kind of collecting around Kobe white. Best of luck to everyone who believes Kobe white's going to be able to win this thing, because I really do not see it. That is a super uninspiring case to me. Uh, And if we have to kind of go, you know, go to bunker and uh, kind of kill that case as we get into the close of the season, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, But uh, the top two guys on this board, I think are bet against uh, in my opinion. Uh, And the next three uh, I think are really where it will come down to. And because Shingun is on a Houston team that's not going to make the plan because Jimmy Kuminga is inconsistent in his usage and role. Um, and because Jalen Williams is on your likely top two seed in the West, uh, I think it's Williams or pass here. Yep. No, I don't mind that. I'm a little bit more afraid of Kobe White than you are. And but, that's mainly because of how I think that voters will respond to him. Uh, it will be on merit. It will be an absolute travesty if Kobe White wins this award. <laughs> like he doesn't belong anywhere near this. Uh, I understand that his counting stats have increased and shooting efficiency. Like he's just not a very good player. Like he's fine. He's a six man of the year type of guy who is starting on a 26 and 29 team that have a really hard schedule to close. I mean, Kobe White is like he is a middling creator who plays no defense whatsoever. He's plus 0.5 EPM. Like he's fine, but the idea that he would win this award over Maxi, Shangun, Kuminga, Williams, even Scotty Barnes has a better case on merit in my mind than Kobe White. Uh, Jalen Johnson as well, I think, has uh, probably a better case than Kobe White as well. But I do think that just the raw stat increase and the fact that he plays in Chicago. Yeah, that big national TV game just for the break against the Cavs. Uh, I do think there are he will resonate with people. I just wonder if that if the Bulls close the season like eleven and sixteen, which is about what the market is projecting, does that all just dissipate? I don't think there's a ton of meat on the bone at plus three seventy five either. I don't think he should be the favorite or anything. I just do think that he has a path to winning. Shengun is a weird one because for much of the season, it was like Maxi and Shangun. And if Maxi is falling off now, then why wouldn't Shangun rise up? It just feels like he has no momentum whatsoever in terms of his team. His performance is just kind of it's just kind of flat. Like it's not he hasn't really significantly improved of late. So I just don't I worry that he's just, just not gonna have the juice, for lack of a better term. And then Kaminga is a really interesting one because if he just didn't have his last three games, 
where I mean, the last game he played 24 minutes and took six shots. Like, what the hell is that? Um, Kerr just plays these rotations where he just rides the hot hand. And if Clay Thompson's making shots or if Pods is making shots, then there's a chance Kaminga doesn't close. So Kerr's rotation just may end up screwing Kaminga. But it's a weird one because I feel like the award is, uh, so to speak, on the racket of Maxi and Kaminga, where those are the two guys I think who have the highest upside. Where if Maxi, if he just like leads the, keeps the sixes in the top six, fixes his efficiency a bit, then he'll probably just win. If Kaminga just plays minutes, if he plays 34 minutes a game, which he was doing for a stretch, and he's seen as like the reason along with Steph that the Warriors have saved their season, and he ends up going from like 9.9 points per game to 18 uh, with good defense, with great efficiency, then yeah, I think he wins. But I just have no confidence whatsoever in the stability of Kerr's rotation. So I think this is probably the most wide open award with Jalen Williams. Like his case is right there. He would not win if the vote were held today. But there is a chance that people are just like, all right, well, everyone in the field is uninspiring. Who is actually impacting, whose improvement is actually impacting winning the most uh, and is impacting like the team's chances of winning the title the most? And the answer there is Jalen Williams. Like, I think he has the best case on merit. That may not mean a lot, but uh, I think that there is a pathway. And I get that the second year thing is going to be just a, not an immediate write-off for voters, but a huge barrier to overcome. But like rules like that can be broken. Like, yeah, guards don't win Defensive Player of the Year until Marcus Smart does it. Um, Joe Flacco doesn't win Comeback Player of the Year playing five games until he does it. Like, there are freakish occurrences in these markets, uh, particularly like a lesser award, like Most Improved Player, which is very amorphous. And so I think that also the fact that, you know, John Morant won the award and he was left off 50% of the ballots. Like, you don't need to be on every single ballot to win this award. And Jalen Williams, I could absolutely see him getting 29 first-place votes and winning the award. So I think that Price, he would be the bet, and Kaminga is the guy who I'm monitoring most uh, night to night. You want to know uh, the X factor for Jalen Williams, Jay? Yeah. There's there's a chance he makes third-team All-NBA. That sixth forward spot is up for grabs. It is. And if people are kind of kicking the tires and they're like, hmm, who's the sick man? I guess it's Jalen Williams, right? Like if he's all NBA, like if he's in the, if he is, if he actually gets it, if he is even being considered, if people are talking about it, like that was the way that, that SGA got into the MVP conversation last year. People were like, man, who is the second first team all, all NBA guard? I guess it's SGA. Whoa, he should, we should be thinking about him for MVP if he's that, you know, if he's at that level right now. And like, I, I honestly think like there is a very, very straightforward path for the Thunder to continue to win, or, you know, and, and, you know, he being a huge reason why, uh, and his case being strong enough and, you know, in merit to warrant, uh, you know, third team all NBA status as a forward. And at that point, like, you know, all bets are off. Uh, he could uh, very clearly steal this one, I think. Yeah, I think the thing with him, and I talk about this a lot in awards markets of guys who, like, he like, he would not do well in a poll today, Jalen Williams. If you polled voters, he would not do well. Like, he would probably come sixth or something. But uh, what I talk about a lot is that there's just a lot of kindling there for his case. Like, it's all there. Like, he's got the huge advanced stat increase. He's on a potential one seed. He's on the only team that's projected to be a top six seed. His improvement is will have the most impact overall on the season of any kind of individual player as a candidate for this award. Like, it is all there for him. 
It just needs something like with when Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year, it was Bill Simmons talking about it on a podcast. Seth Partnow wrote an article about Smart as Defensive Player of the Year on The Athletic. And then there was like one other random article that kind of went a little bit viral about how Smart is right there for Defensive Player of the Year. Like you need something similar with that with Jalen Williams. Like someone needs to write an article that goes viral. And then all voters are just like, oh, wait, it's right there. It was there all along. And now I believe. <laughs> So it just needs that because he's got the kindling. Just the light needs to uh, – it, it, the, the match needs to be lighted, but it can happen. It probably won't happen. Like we're both saying that he's about 10 to 1 fair, so we think there's a 90% chance that he doesn't win the award. But there is, I think, a 10% chance or so that he does. Uh, and at price, I think he is, he is worth a flyer because he does have he does have a path, and that's all you really want uh, in a long shot, uh, that he has a path. Uh, all right, we're going to save MVP for Sunday. Uh, there's a couple of big matchups coming up uh, around that market. So we'll dive deeper into MVP and maybe look uh, at a couple of other awards then. So we'll record Sunday night. That show will come out Monday morning. But just, yeah, I haven't changed my mind at all that the wrong man is favoured uh, in that market. Uh, and uh, I don't think Nikola Jokic is going to be... The favourite uh, in a month or so, I think that's going to be Shea Gilgis Alexander. But we'll get into that uh, at a later point. Anyway, we are done for now. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Also a reminder to find all your favourite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll see you soon. son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.